Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. We're picking up where we left off last week with that passage of Scripture. There is, as always, an outline in your, well, it's not really an outline, it's a note sheet in your bulletin uh, for you to jot down some notes. Okay, let's uh, bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying your word. And Lord, we know it's more than just something to do because it's Sunday morning. We know that your word is crucial to our lives, crucial to the church, crucial to the future. As we study your word, as we apply it to the situations in our lives, as we more and more align our lives with its truth. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. Thank you for what you did for us on Calvary's cross, for sending your son, your only son, to bear in his innocent, sinless body our sin, so that by believing in him, we might go from death to life. You give us eternal life. You make us part of your family. We thank you. Thank you for your wonderful son. And Lord, we say happy Father's Day to you today because you are a great father. Help us to emulate what you do. We pray in Jesus' name. Well, I thought we'd start this morning since these words that we're studying this morning are the last words of Paul to the church at Ephesus, to the leadership of the church at Ephesus. I thought we would start with some memorable last words. French grammarian, and I can't even say his name, Dominique, I guess it's a he, I'm not sure, uh, horse or something, Bouhors? There you go, my French-speaking wife. So uh, uh, I'm not going to get any closer than that, and I'm not even going to try that. But he said, his last words were, I am about to, or I am going to, die. Either expression is used. You have to think about that one for a second. Um, Oscar Wilde, his last words were, either that wallpaper goes or I do. <laughs> the last words of Karl Marx, last words are for fools who have not yet said enough. <laughs> that was my favorite right there. <laughs> and last but not least, last words of playwright, Wilson Misner, Wilson Misner, when a priest said to him, I'm sure you want to talk to me, while he was on his deathbed, said to him, why should I talk to you? I've just been talking to your boss. <laughs> Last words. Why are they important? They're important because they show what is on a person's heart at a particularly special moment in their lives at a crucial moment in their lives. And that's exactly what we see here with Paul as we look at these last words of his to the uh, church at Ephesus. Uh, if you look with me at verse 25, he says, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Paul has no expectation that he will visit Ephesus again. His Heart is set to go to Jerusalem and after that to go to Rome. And God has been warning him, we saw in last week's passage, 
God has been warning him that danger is ahead, suffering is ahead, prison is ahead. And so Paul senses that he will never speak to these Ephesian elders again. And so I, I think that Acts chapter 20 is one of the most crucial passages of the book of Acts, maybe even of the whole Bible, because it shows what is important to Paul. It shows his heart for the Ephesians. It shows his hope for the Ephesians. It shows his concern for what was to come. And so he encourages them, he challenges them, he exhorts them, he warns them, basically teaching them. So we started looking at his model of ministry. His model of ministry uh, is found in chapter 20, starting in verse 18, through about verse 24, 25, 26, or 27, right in that area. And we looked at the first two last week, the first two characteristics of Paul's ministry, and what I'm saying should be the characteristic of all ministry. And the first two characteristics were, number one, transparency and consistency. That was based on verse 18. By the way, if you look on the inside page of your bulletin, all these are listed with the scripture. So uh, that'll, that'll uh, help you to know where I'm getting these from. So the first is transparency and consistency. The second characteristic is that of humility. And we spent some time last week talking about humility. It's one of the most important characteristics that you and I can have, not just in our lives, but especially in our ministries, is the characteristic of humility. The third characteristic is the one that Chris mentioned a while ago during the, the worship uh, songs, and that is the characteristic of tenderness or compassion. We see that in verse 30, uh, excuse me, in verse 19. I served, Paul says, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Paul served not only what, with humility, but he also served with tears. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of the Apostle Paul, tears don't come to mind. It's not tears I think about when I think about Paul. I think about him thundering the truth. But it's amazing how many times in Scripture Paul talks about his tears. And, you know, I can identify with that. Uh, being in the ministry for a, a few years now. Um, maybe it's too much to share, but there are times when I've sat at my desk and just melted into tears because of something or someone. It's the part of ministry nobody ever sees. And so I can understand that Paul would have tears. I can understand that Paul would cry. We see his tears in many passages of Scripture, and we see his tenderness and compassion and his sorrow in this passage. Uh, you can write this down or turn to these passages if you like. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, where we read this, I speak the truth in Christ I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow 
and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Paul said, I have such great sorrow when I think about the unsaved, particularly the Jews who will not accept their Messiah, the Jews who will not come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I think that is true for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, that we have tears, we have compassion, we have sorrow for those we know who are rejecting Christ. And sometimes they, they reject Christ with vehemence, don't want anything to do with him, don't want to hear our, our uh, testimony. I remember Kathy shared with somebody, and she's really good about sharing her faith. Uh, she shared with somebody one time, and they vehemently told her they did not want to hear it. You've had that experience, haven't you? I'll bet you some of you have had that experience. Paul said, I have anguish in my heart that there are those who will not accept Christ will not trust Christ as their Savior, and, and will, will face even, even those on their deathbed who are facing eternity sometimes reject the Savior. Paul said, that, that gives me great sorrow. Philippians chapter 3 and uh, verse 18, we read this. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul here says, talks again of his tears. His tears of those over those who are living as enemies of the cross of Christ. Not, not just unbelievers, sometimes believers live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Uh, sometimes there are those who we know who are pro, uh, professed to be believers in Jesus Christ but they're not living it. They're not living it out in their lives. Paul said, that just breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to see those who know Jesus Christ as Savior not living for him. It breaks my heart to see those who, among my family, or among my co-workers, or among my friends, who want nothing to do with my Jesus. And Paul said, that breaks his heart. So the third characteristic of ministry is that of tenderness and compassion and sorrow. The fourth characteristic of ministry is found in verses 20 and 21 and 26 and 27. If you would look at those, uh, those verses, uh, starting with Acts chapter 20 and verse 20. Let me get back here to that section. Acts chapter 20 and verse 20, where we read, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, 
but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. The fourth characteristic of Paul's ministry and, and that which should be a characteristic of all of our ministry is that boldness in sharing the word of God. Boldness in sharing the word of God. Paul says it a second time in verses 26 and 27. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. We must never shrink back from the truth of the word of God. We must never shrink back from the truth of the word of God in fear of others or in pandering to others. We must never shrink back. It's not easy to stand for the word of God, especially in this day. It's not easy to stand up for what the Bible teaches. It's not easy to preach the precepts, commands, of the scripture it's not easy to do that because when we do we're called intolerant when we do our testimony is rejected it's not easy but paul said i never worried about whether it was easy or enough i i just did it i did it i preached the word of god boldly i never shrank back from the truth of the word of God. It's interesting in verse, in the, the verses before us, there are four different words that Paul uses of communicating the gospel. There are four different Greek words, words that Paul uses of communicating the gospel. And I think when we look at these four Greek words, we understand the breadth of what it means to share our faith. First, the first word that Paul uses is the word anangelo, and it means to proclaim or to announce. Paul used it in verse 20, where he is translated preach, and in verse 27, where it's translated proclaim. When you and I communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are proclaiming it. We are announcing it to those around us. That's a part of of communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second word, and it's a very important word in the scripture, is the Greek word didasko. Didasko. And the, the word didasko uh, means literally to teach. To teach. Paul mentioned it in verse 20, where he talks about the fact that he taught them, and he taught them the truth. The third Greek word in this passage, found in verse 21 and verse 24, is omai, and it means to solemnly bear witness to. It's translated, excuse me, translated declared and testifying. Paul is talking about that part of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that of declaring to others the truth, that of bearing witness to the truth. When you and I share our faith in Jesus Christ, we're bearing witness to the fact that the word of God has been effective in our lives, that God has taken hold of us and changed us. Kathy and I were 
uh, taking a test drive in a car a couple of days ago, and uh, the um, salesman was a very nice young man, very, very nice, talkative, and uh, not just about cars. He was either, either was part of his shtick, which I don't think so. He seemed like a genuine young man. Or it was, he was truly interested in people. And so we're on this test drive, and he's just asking us a ton of questions about our personal lives. And uh, so at one point, uh, he says to me, and, and you know, we're giving him the, the normal answers. And at one point, he says to me, well, did you, did you do something else before you were a preacher? And that was an interesting question because my whole life changed when I came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. I was on one path. I was an adult. I had a career. And I was on one path. And God got hold of my life in salvation. And then he called me to the ministry. And it totally changed my life. And so I thought, okay, you ask me. You ask me. And so I told him. I told him some people introduced me to Jesus Christ and I realized that I didn't know God and I wasn't in relationship with God and I put my faith in Jesus and it changed my life and changed the direction and God called me to the ministry. That's solemnly bearing witness to, declaring, testifying. The fourth word in this passage is uh, marturomai, and it means to declare or testify. It's akin to the third word. That, that gives us the, the whole gamut of what Paul meant by his preaching, to proclaim or to announce, to teach, to solemnly bear witness to, to testify. Paul used all of those things. Paul used all of those things to change the lives of the people around him. Well, Frank, you're going to like this next quote. It's his favorite Oswald Chambers quote, as it is one of my favorites as well. Oswald Chambers said, Never water down the word of God. Preach it in its undiluted sternness. There must be unflinching loyalty to the word of God, but when you come to personal dealing with your fellow men, remember who you are, not a special being made up in heaven, but a sinner saved by grace. Uh, we must never shrink back. I, I love that. Preach the word of God in its undiluted sternness. Whoa, who puts words together like that anymore? That is awesome. Preach the word in its undiluted sternness, but do it remembering that you're a sinner saved by grace. You're hewn from the same pit the other, un, the other sinners around you are hewn from. You and I are not better than other people. We are better off than other people because we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. Steve was sharing with me the other day a study that he came across. And uh, 
called the American Worldview Inventory 2022. And uh, the minute I read it, I knew I had to share it with you in this sermon. (laughs) Thank you, Steve. He's a great scholar. So, um, have, have you all heard of the American Worldview Inventory 2022? It's put out by Arizona Christian University, uh, and they had some interesting... Dr. Jar, George Barna, you've heard of Barna, I'm sure. Well, they had some interesting uh, conclusions in this, in this Worldview Inventory I'm just quoting from it. People have many expectations of pastors of Christian churches. One of those expectations is that pastors possess a philosophy of life that largely reflects biblical principles, a perspective commonly called a biblical worldview. But a new nationwide survey among a representative sample of America's Christian pastors shows that a large majority of those pastors do not possess a biblical worldview. Let that sink in for a moment. A large majority of pastors in America do not possess a biblical worldview. The article goes on to say, but a new nationwide survey among a representative sample of America's Christian pastors shows that a large majority of those pastors do not possess a biblical worldview. In fact, just slightly more than a third, 37%, have a biblical worldview. Only a third of the pastors in America have a biblical worldview. View. Did I say it loud enough? I want you to hear it. A little more than a third of pastors have a biblical worldview. No wonder we're in trouble. They're not, there's so much more in that article. You can look it up. America Worldview Inventory 2022. I'd love to share more from that article, but what an eye-opener. What an eye-opener. It breaks it down. It's so interesting. It breaks it down between various kinds of pastors, senior pastors, associate pastors, youth pastors, uh, executive pastors, and so on and so forth. And, and, and the, the percentage keeps going down <laughs> of pastors in America who have a biblical worldview. Boy, I don't know what Paul would have to say to America. When I look at what he has to say in Acts chapter 20 to the Ephesian elders, I don't know what he would say to American pastors. I I know one thing, I wouldn't want to be in front of him when he says it. See, this is so important. Boldness in preaching. Boldness in preaching. uh, Vance Habner, uh, whom I love to read, was commenting on Romans 12.9, which says, hate that which is evil and cling to that which is good. He said this, the mood of the age is to put up with evil, allow it, and then move easily to play with it and finally practice it. Tolerance is a pet word these days, and we stretch our consciences while we broaden our minds. 
Nothing is more dangerous to our spiritual well-being than a mild amiability that smiles at sin. Nothing is more dangerous to our spiritual well-being than a mild amiability that smiles at sin. If pastors don't even have a biblical worldview, how can we even talk about sin, the Bible, salvation? He went on to say, Some have come to think that there is something noble in a mild attitude towards sin. Compassion on the sinful is one thing, but never confuse it with tolerance of evil. Another writer talking about boldness in preaching said this, No one is asked to believe the word of God and the evidence of a slick brochure or the sales pitch of a smooth-talking witness. There are centuries of evidence to show its consistent truth and working power. No human words can so well... No human words are so well tried and thoroughly tested as the Word of God. I love that. No, and, 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 and let, me just, let me just put the exclamation point on that. No human words are so well tried and thoroughly tested as the Word of God. We have something important to share to the people around us that will change their lives. And when their lives are changed, it's going to change our culture. And do we ever need a change? Boldness in preaching. William Barclay said, He had told them all God's will and pandered neither to the fear nor the favor of men. Another writer said, He was no seeker after popularity or the public's approval. We need transparency and consistency. We need humility. We need tenderness and compassion. We need tears for a lost and dying world around us. But we need boldness in preaching. Verses 20 and 21, Paul said, You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Paul said, I taught, you, I taught publicly over my years of ministry. We've seen him teaching in the synagogue, in lecture halls, and other places. We've seen him teaching in private homes, house to house, he calls it. Some of that would be in house churches. And what did he teach them? He taught them the need to turn to God and have faith. Those two are joined by one article, which means they are both necessary. They are two sides of one coin. That is, we must turn to God, turn from our rebellion, turn from our unbelief, and we must have faith. Faith is the only remedy for the lost condition of humanity. Literally in Greek, it says, must turn to God in repentance. Literally, it says, toward, turn toward God in repentance. Turn toward God 
in repentance. You see, we're walking, uh, unbelievers are walking away from God. They're not turned toward God. They're, they've got their backs to God. And we need to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with them so that they'll turn around and walk toward God. Turn to God. Turn from our rebellion. Turn from unbelief and have faith in God. The word of God is central. And there's got to be boldness in preaching. That's the fourth of these six characteristics of Paul's ministry. The word of God is central. Proverbs 29.18 is regularly misinterpreted. Proverbs 29.18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. And unfortunately, people take that to mean a visionary. Where there is not visionary leadership that sees the future and, and, and points people toward the future. It doesn't mean that at all. Where there is no vision. The words in Hebrew are prophetic vision. What's a prophetic vision? It's the Word of God given to a man or woman of God. What the writer is saying in Proverbs 29.18 where there is no prophetic Word of God, where the Word of God is absent, people perish. People perish. Number four was boldness in preaching. Number five, the fifth characteristic, is found in verses 22 and 23, where we read, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the grace of God. There are two characteristics here. The first is found in verses 22 and 23. That is the characteristic of courage. The second, the sixth of the ones we're studying is found in verse 24, and that's keeping the big picture. Let's look at Courage. Courage. The fifth characteristic of ministry is courage. Single-mindedness in facing difficulties and hardships and dangers. Single-mindedness in facing difficulties and hardships and dangers. The Holy Spirit was warning Paul apparently... In verse 23, we read, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. We don't know how the Holy Spirit warned him. We believe that it's probably so that through various prophets and various churches as Paul visited them, they warned him, the Holy Spirit prompted them to warn him that hardship and difficulty was coming. Hardship and difficulty was coming. But no matter what, do you notice what Paul says? He is committed to God's will. 
He is committed to God's will. How many believers fall by the wayside when difficulty comes? Paul said, I'm not going to be one of them. He was committed to God's will, whatever the cost. Quoting Oswald Chambers again, he said this, It is much easier to die than to lay down your life day in and day out with the sense of the high calling of God. Salvation is easy for us because it costs God so much, but the exhibiting of salvation in my life is difficult. God saves a person, fills him with the Holy Spirit, and then says in effect, now you work it out in your life and be faithful to me, even though the nature of everything around you is to cause you to be unfaithful. Paul said, I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm going to be faithful to God's will, even though I'm being warned, even though I'm being warned that hardship is ahead of me, even though I'm being warned that prison is ahead of me, even though I'm being warned that difficult days are ahead of me in my life, Paul said, I am choosing the will of God. I am choosing the will of God. Well, that's the fifth, that is courage, singleness, single-mindedness, rather, in facing difficulties and hardships and dangers. You know, a lot of times we say, boy, I'd love to know what the future holds. <laughs> you ever say that? I'd love to, I'd love to know what's going to happen. I, I don't think that's true. I don't think we would want to know the future. I mean, other than the broad outline God gives us, and we know that his son Jesus is coming back from heaven, and we are excited about that. But I don't think I want to know what's coming this afternoon or tomorrow or the next day. One writer put it this way, it is good to be kept in the dark concerning future events that we may be always waiting on God and waiting for Him. Thus we must defer to God and let Him do what's good in His eyes. That's the wonderful thing about not knowing the future. We defer to God who does. We defer to God who does. I don't know what sickness is, I don't want to know what sickness is going to befall me in a month. Or what difficulty is going to be there? You know what I do? Now, you guys wouldn't do it, but I do. I would fret over it for the next 30 days. I'd be fretting over it and worrying about what's going to happen, what's going to... Thank you, Lord, that I can trust myself to your will. I can trust myself to your will. Now, if you know me at all, you know that that's not going to stop me from fretting totally. <laughs> i got to be honest with you. I'm just telling you the truth. Transparency. <laughs> just telling you the truth. That's, a, that's an Achilles heel for me. But for Paul, he knew that God's will was going to be the best. It's God's will that's going to make a difference in his life. Well, the sixth thing <clears throat> is keeping the big picture. 
keeping the big picture. Paul's purpose, and we see it in verse 24, which I read a moment ago, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Paul's purpose was to complete the task God had given him to finish the race, to finish the race without getting sidetracked by issues of sin, without getting sidetracked by selfishness, without getting sidetracked by apathy toward God. Paul was determined to complete the task that God had laid before him. Life and death, death were not the issues that mattered most to Paul. He, his issues were twofold. He wanted to do his appointed work fully. He wanted to finish his calling. He wanted to complete the task that God had given to him. That should be a desire for every one of us to complete the task that God has given to us. And the second thing he wanted to do was finish the race. Remember athletic illustrations. Paul just loved athletic illustrations, the boxer. Uh, he loved military illustrations, the soldier. And in the athletics, he loved, he loved the race. There's so many passages that uh, we don't have time to go to. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, I believe it is. You can, you can look that up. Paul talks about finishing the race. Paul's desire was that uh, he sees his life as a race that God entered him into, and he wanted to complete it. He wanted to complete it. Now, the, the great thing is that all of us can complete the race. We don't have to be the winner. We don't have to be the first through the tape, but we can be sure we go through the tape. He wanted to do his appointed work fully. He wanted to fulfill his calling. He wanted to complete the task. He wanted to finish the race. How many have you and I known who have started the race and gotten sidetracked by the world, the flesh, and the devil? And gotten sidetracked. Life and death were not the issues that mattered to Paul. Finishing the race, he surrendered himself for the sake of the gospel. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, chapter 3, verse 8. And if you want to read more about the race as a symbol of the Christian life, I've already told you about 1 Corinthians 9.24, but also 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, which is interesting because there Paul says, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul was facing martyrdom, and the most important thing to him was that he had finished the race that he had kept the faith. Can you think of that? Can you imagine that? That you're facing martyrdom and the most important thought in your mind is, have I completed the race? Have I kept the faith? And to be content that you can go to your death knowing that you have kept the faith. You have kept the faith. One writer said, one day life will end and we will have to give our farewell speech. Can we look back without regret and look ahead without fear? I'll leave us with that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Paul's heart. Thank you for his example of ministry. May we complete the task that you've set before us. <clears throat> we pray in Jesus' name.